Good morning again, church. Uh, I have a question for you. How many of you, you can be honest, are a bit of a control freak? Anyone? It's less than I thought, honestly. It's okay to admit it. A better question is if I were to ask your friends, if I were to ask your spouse, would they tell me that you're a control? My hand is raised. And you're going to hear uh, some stories that kind of prove that. Uh, so for those of us who struggle a little bit with control issues, this morning is going to be for us. Uh, but more than that, I believe that this is a timely message for, the, for us. And I'm not saying this as just an opening to a message. I really am not. I, I'm saying this because I truly mean this, that no matter where we are, no matter our age, our stage of life, no matter what, this is a message for us this morning, individually, but hear me, collectively for us as a church, this is a message that is timely for us. Um, I'm confident that wherever you are, that this will be universal. And I say this because right at the beginning, I want us to approach this with an openness that God has something for each of us, not something for our friend but, or our neighbor, but something for each of us. And so I want us to come to this time expecting. We say this a lot, and I love it. I'm gonna to continue to say it, but it's our prayer that we not only read God's word, but that we will be a people who allow God's word to read us. And that's my prayer this morning. And so what I wanna do, I wanna pray for us, and then let's dive in together. God, thank you for your word. I thank you for the book of James, I thank you for the journey you have had us on as a church. I am grateful. And God, this morning, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds, that we will know you in a deeper way, and that we'll, we will leave here knowing your message to us this morning. And that's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are finishing out chapter four this morning. It's been a, it's been a journey a little bit. Um, our text that Craig read for us there uh, a few seconds ago paints a picture of a man who seems from the surface to be kind of a competent businessman. Would you agree? He, he, uh, he seems to be fairly confident. He says, uh, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Right? He's describing a, a man with a plan. A man with a strategy, a man who, uh, who has a plan of, I'm going to be here for you know, a year, maybe more, I'm going to be there, I'm going to pocket a little profit, I'm going to start a business or two, things are going to go well. Uh, right off the bat, he seems confident. Is there anything wrong with that? Is there anything wrong with having a plan, to having a business plan? Is there anything wrong with that? Any businessmen or women in the room? We don't have businessmen in here. Okay. Okay. Uh, how many of you have a career plan or, or an idea of where you want to go? How many of you uh, have a plan for your household to be able to make a living? You guys are scaring me. I think I might need to pause and talk about financial planning right now. <laughs> it's okay for us to have a plan. It's okay to admit this. As most of us, we do have a place we want to be. We have a vision for our family. We have places we want to go in our career. We have places we want to go in school. We have maybe, not all of us have a 10-year plan. Some of us have a 10-year plan. We, maybe we haven't sat down and actually articulated it yet, 
But most of us, if I were to talk to you, you would have a place that you would like to go. The question is not if are we planners, is are we good planners? Some of us are not quite good planners, but we have plans. Collectively as a church, let me tell you, we have plans. We have plans. We have a vision. We have a mission. We have strategies to take us there. Uh, Our vision statement as a church is we will be a church who equips and sends people out on gospel-centered mission in their communities, and that we will be a church who continually plants churches locally and globally who are going to do the same thing. That is where we want to go. That is our plan. As a church, that is where we want to go. So let's see what James has to say. He says, you have all your plans, yet... You do not know what tomorrow will bring. He got us there, right? I mean, we, we don't know what tomorrow will bring, let alone what our year is going to look like. We have ideas, but we don't know. Let me give you a glimpse into my life. I'm a little obsessive about this. I love planning. I really love it. If you were to take my phone, look at my calendar, you could find out what I'm doing on the third Wednesday of the month of December of this year. I'm that far ahead. I'm, I'm obsessive about it. Um, I love it. I love it. Well, let me, my poor wife, uh, she's here, so I get to talk about her. Uh, let me just show you a little bit what this looks like in our household. Uh, I am excited. I'm training for a, a marathon in November. And so uh, I think it was about May, decided to do it. I was really excited. I wanted to get a plan in place for it. So I have in my office this chalkboard that is, that is a big chalkboard. And uh, so when I decided I was going to do it, what I did is I went to the chalkboard and I drew out this massive grid representing each day and each week from May to November. And I put on this well-planned, beautiful training plan that's going to take me from there to here. It's going to increase my pay. It's going to be beautiful. Like It's just all there on the wall, on the wall. all. Uh, so one day. Candace had an interview. It was a video interview, uh, and it was in our office. So she sat down. The way our office is arranged is the computer kind of looks at the back wall that happens to have my beautiful training plan on it. And I remember she sat down to get ready for the interview, and I hear, Justin. And so I, I come in, and she looks at me, looks at the, the chart, looks at me, looks at the chart. And uh, I love her words. Uh, she said, they're going to think I'm weird. Can you cover it? <laughs> um, weird, is a, uh, weird is a weird word, actually. I think it would be awesome. They're going to think I'm awesome for having this, but poor Candace. Um, am I in sin for having a plan like that? I mean, I don't know what tomorrow holds. Is that sinful for me to have that plan on the wall? Is that wrong? Before we answer, James pushes it further. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now, on the surface, that's not super encouraging, right? That, that's not super encouraging. James says your life is like a mist, that morning fog that when the sun hits it, it vanishes. You're like that. Uh, how long does a mist last? How long does the morning fog last? Not long because the moment it hits the sun, it vanishes. James says your life is a lot like that that it's here for a moment, and then it vanishes like a mist. Now, time out, time out, because there's one important thing to clarify here. You are not a mist. Your life is a mist. 
you are not a mist. What I, what I mean by that is you are not simply here in existence for a fleeting amount of time, and then once your life is over, you're done. You are not a mist. You are eternal. You are eternal. Your life, all yes, all that we see here, all that we know in this life, that is a mist. That is fleeting. But you are not a mist. Uh, in other words, your life here may be a mist, but you're going to spend eternity somewhere. You are not a mist. Uh, the mist is part of the plan, but it's not the plan. And so right off the bat, we need to see that because it helps us understand this text. Um, now, before we move past this, though, think about this, in, this imagery, a morning mist, because no matter how hard we try, we can't get that stuff to stick around longer, can we? It's just this brief phenomenon that comes and it goes, and the older we get, I think we feel this more. We see our days kind of flying by, our weeks, our months kind of flying by. We see uh, changes happening. We see our kids grow, and time just is fleeting. And so the question then is, what do we do with our fleeting time? What do we do with our mist? We're going to talk about this in just a moment. But James says, your time here is but a mist. You don't know what tomorrow holds. And he continues, and he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live or do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. So what happened here? James adds a little phrase that says, if the Lord wills. Now, is this our magic catchphrase that we need to put in front of all of our plans? Should I go home and with my piece of chalk across that top of that board say, if the Lord wills, and then step back and say, now I nailed it. Now God is pleased with that. Is, is that what James is calling us to do, is to put this catchphrase at the beginning of our plans. Let's unpack this for a moment because there's a couple things I want us to see before we go into this. Number one, planning is not evil. Planning is not evil. James is not making an argument against planning here. He says, if the Lord wills, we will live or do this or that, meaning the plan is still intact. He's not coming against plans. So my fellow planners, we can take a deep breath. We're okay. Planning is not evil, but number two, profit is not evil either. James is not rebuking the businessman or businesswoman for being profitable in business. This is not uh, a call for us to be unwise or, or unsuccessful in business. Profit is not evil, and it wasn't the problem in verse 13. That wasn't the problem. Planning is not evil. Profit is not evil. Here's what James is calling out, and I'm going to put it on the screen. It's the tendency to trust ourselves and our abilities to accomplish everything we need to accomplish in life without God. It's our tendency to, to trust ourselves, to trust our, our, our savvy, our smarts, our abilities, to trust ourselves, to get us everywhere we need to go, to guide us to everywhere we need to be. It is, it is our tendency to trust ourselves apart from God. That is what James is is talking about here. Now, church, hear me. I just described the condition of our community. And I want to land here for a moment. I just described us. Because follow me, we have our cars. 
We have our homes, our careers, our savings, our investments, our retirement accounts, our safety nets, our financial plans, our career plans. And hear me, none of these things are evil. None of these things are evil in and of themselves, none of them. But what they can do in us is evil. None of these things are evil in and of themselves. But when these things take us away from the thing, they become evil things in our life. They become evil. And church, we walk into a community. I I really want you to follow me here. We walk into a community that have all of the things I just listed. This is their life. And we walk into that community and our message is what? You need Jesus. What's the response that can be common in our community? It's maybe, I mean, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I mean, uh, maybe if I get, as I get to the end of my life, I'll start thinking about this, making things right, maybe thinking through this whole God thing. But right now, I think I'm doing okay. Uh, It's not that I don't believe in God. It's just I don't care right now. Have you heard this in our community? Maybe not in those words, but in attitude when you, when you talk about your faith. Um, I think right now I have things under control. It's like parents who are potty training, trying to potty train their kids, who are playing outside at a park and having a great time. And you stop them and you say, do you need to go potty? And they say, no, no. They ignore their need. They're having a great time. They push it away. They ignore it. They ignore it. They're distracted until it's too late. And you're rocking wet pants. We ignore it before it's too late. Parents, you've been there. Um, In the same way, I believe our community can be distracted away from their need. Distracted away from their need. Uh, If you think about it, a way to think through this is that they're missed have, has distracted them away from their eternity. Does that make sense? They're missed. That thing that's fleeting and gone has now been the thing that distracts them from their eternity. This text broke my heart because I realized this is us. These are the people I pray for. For those of you who live in this community, this is, this is who we are called to reach. These are the people that we are called to bring the good news to. I remember share a story with you real quick. I remember several years ago, I was at a, a church planting. It was kind of a seminar conference thing. And uh, one of the days they had a, a, what we call a breakout session, which was the main thing is going on. But here in another room, it was kind of smaller and it was just a couple people on the stage and they were answering questions. So you could just ask questions and the, the people on the stage were pastors who have planted, started several churches. And so we were, we were talking, and, and the, the topic of the dialogue was, where should we start churches, right? Where should we do it? Uh, I will never forget what he said. Uh, one of the guys on stage began to talk about planting churches, starting churches in downtown areas, kind of our urban centers. And he was talking about the need. He said, the darkness in our cities is so dark It's so dark. The need is so great. It's so obvious. We have to start churches there. Uh, And I'll never forget what he said next. He said, but as difficult as it is to start churches and ministries in urban centers, and it is difficult, in many ways, ministry in the suburbs, especially, especially the affluent suburbs, can be far more difficult. When he said that, everyone in the room kind of, really? 
and we were, we were waiting. You got to clear this up. Uh, he goes on to say, in the suburbs, there is the same amount of darkness, the same amount of lostness, the same amount of brokenness. But in the suburbs, all of that darkness, all of that lostness and brokenness is often dressed up, made to look pretty, and hidden behind beautiful homes. It hit me like a ton of bricks. He says, in the suburbs, we are easily able to distract ourselves from our great need. In the suburbs, people will smile at you and potentially come to your church. In the suburbs, we can look so put together on the outside, and listen to this, and we can convince ourselves that we are okay on our own dime. That's us. That is our community. He says, well, in the city, we often know that we are not okay. In the suburbs, we tend to think that we're doing okay without God. That's our community. For those of you who live in this community, this is our community. This is the community we've been called to reach. And James slams on our brakes a little bit. And he says, realize that your life is like a mist. Realize that we are meant to live for so much more. Realize how absurd it is for us to put all of our trust and confidence in ourselves and our own abilities when we can't even predict or dictate our tomorrow. Realize the absurdity of that, that your life is a mist. And James is calling us to stop and realize that our cars will eventually break down. Our homes will come and go. Our careers can be lost, changed. Our savings can deplete. Our investments can fail, our plans can change, our health can fade. All of these things, all of it are as temporal as a mist. All of it are as temporal as a mist. And there is more than all of that. Don't become distracted by those things. Don't become distracted by those things. Don't place your confidence in things that are only going to pass. There's a problem when we become more confident in our savings account than our God. There's a problem there. There's a problem when we become more confident in our plans, in our ability to plan, than our God. The things will rust, the things will break down, but James says instead, if the Lord wills. Meaning, instead realize God's direct, direction and sovereignty over all of this. Realize that. Realize you're a part of something so much bigger than yourself. Don't buy the lie that you're the point. Don't buy the lie. There's something so much bigger, and James is encouraging us to find our place in God's big picture. Now, I would fail you as a pastor if I left our conversation here to, to imply that this is a them-out-there problem. I would fail you as a pastor if I left all of us to believe that this is something that they struggle with out there because we all know this is not a they problem. This is an us problem. This is an us problem. There is this tendency in us to place our confidence in things that we think we can control. Whether that be our, our great career plans, whether that be our savings, we place our confidence in, in that stuff, which again, none of those things are evil. None of those things are evil. But Satan would want nothing more than for the good things to distract you from the thing. That would be a huge win for him. Um, maybe this morning, Satan is not crippling your life with uh, drug addiction, pornography addictions, all of the, the obvious things in our culture. Maybe Satan is not using those things in your life right now, uh, but he can sure use some of the seemingly good things to do the job. 
perhaps maybe the biggest temptation for us today is to think that we're okay without him. Maybe that's our great temptation, is that we are okay without him, that we're clever enough. Maybe we are well-networked enough. We've got the right experience. We've got the right resume. We're smart enough to do pretty well in life. And if Satan can keep our eyes fixed on, let's just say, our mist, if he can keep our eyes locked on that, then all this, that stuff begins not to lead us to Christ, but as this passage says, leads us to arrogance and boasting, it leads to evil. Um, I think of it as something I call functional atheism. Functional atheism is meaning that, that we may know Jesus, we may believe in God, but we, we live our lives as though Jesus is irrelevant to it. We live our lives as is all that stuff that we know has, doesn't really make a difference on the way we live. So what happens is we tend to end up living just like everyone around us. It's functional atheism. So let me ask you a question right where you are, and I want you to think through this honestly. What are you more confident in than your God? What are you more confident in than your God? You don't have to answer it out loud, but I do want you to answer it. In your mind, what are those things? See, for, for in verse 13, it was his strategy. It was, it was his plans. The church, what is it for you? What is it for you that you are more confident in than your God? I want to read a, uh, a paraphrased commentary of this passage. Uh, it's called the Message Translation. What it does is it kind of paraphrases the text uh, for us, and sometimes he just nails it. I love his phrasing, and so I want to read this to you. It says, And now I have a word for you who brashly announced today or at the latest tomorrow we're off to such and such a city for a year. We're going to start a business, make a lot of money. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog catching a brief bit of sun before disappearing. Instead, make it a habit to say, if the master wills it, if the master desires it, and if we're still alive, we'll do this or that. As it is, you are full of your grandiose selves, and all such vaunting self-importance is evil. That's so good. It says, make it a habit. Make it a habit to say, if the master wills it and desires it. Now, let me bring this together for us practically, because this might be all great in theory, but how does this play out for us on the ground? How can we... Uh, bring this into our life as we make plans, because I hope that we will make plans. How can this play out in our plans? Uh, number one, our plans are nothing without the power of God. This sounds simple, and it is, but it is incredibly important that all of our strategizing, all of our planning, all of it are nothing without the power of God, no matter what line of work you're in. It's not just my line of work. What Ever line of work you are in. Our plans are nothing without him because in him we find our purpose. In him we live, we move, we have our being. He holds everything together. Um, as a pastor, I bump into this often. Is my hope, my prayer, is that this becomes and this is a healthy church. That we see people come to know Jesus here. 
that we see lives transformed here. I mean, true transformation, that we see that here. That is why I do what I do to, to equip the church so that we see Jesus together as a church. That's why I'm here. And so many times I have caught myself making plans, developing strategies, none of which are bad, thinking through the steps of how I'm gonna get there without realizing that without the power of God, nothing is possible. None of that is possible. Uh, I was talking to a church leader several weeks ago over coffee, and I'll never forget what this person said to me. They said, growing a church is not hard. If you do a couple things right, have the right people, have good music, good environment, a good message, you're going to grow. You're going to see growth because growing a church is easy. Everything in me cringed when I heard that said. Everything in me cringed because the attitude that was expressed in that blah was exactly what James is dealing with. Making our plans with no stopping, without stopping to realize that nothing is possible without God. I mean, sure, I, I mean, let's think about this honestly. I might be able to persuade some of you to make good, better life decisions. I might. I might be able to persuade some of you to come to our church. I might be able to do that. I might be able to do that, but that is not lasting change. That is not lasting change. Only God can change and transform lives. Only God. This is a, a work of God, and because of that, one of the most powerful, powerful things for us to do is to stop and to realize, to say to God, if the master wills it, the master desires it, to stop and say, God, I want to please you in all I do, and I, I need your power to do that, to just stop and, and focus our hearts. And this does not, like I said, just apply to the church world. This does not apply only to the church world. Um, it applies to all worlds. From growing or starting a business, I know several of you are doing that right now, uh, to raising children. There's one. This is true in all of our worlds, that we have a plan for the rest of our lives. We make plans, and do we ever stop and consider God's will in those plans? Do we ever stop and consider God's will in those, those plans? Or has Jesus become this really cool accessory that we kind of put on on Sunday mornings? He's just this really cool accessory, but he doesn't make much of a difference in the real world on Monday. Does your Sunday have any rollover into your Monday? Because that's what we talked about as being functionally atheist. Um, church, our plans are nothing without the power of God. Individually, nothing. As a church, they are nothing without the power of God. Let's move to number two. Number two is that our plans should be for the glory of God. I wanna unpack this a little bit. Uh, first, let me ask you a question, then I have a story for you. When is the last time you made a decision with God's glory and recognition in mind? Not your own. When is the last time you made a decision with God's glory in mind as, as that being your goal? Let me tell you a story. Uh, several years ago, there was a group in Austin. They were a community group uh, from a prominent church in Austin, uh, and they were becoming really close together. Uh, I heard stories of this group. They met for a while. They began to come together. One thing that they were doing really well is finding ways that they could serve their community. 
So they were looking for ways as a group where they can, and we do these things in our community groups too. I love it. Um, this group, though, found a, an area of town. It was a lower-income area. It was one of the roughest areas in Austin. And they felt they had a heart for it. And they felt, we need to do something there. So they started doing a lot of work in one specific neighborhood in this Austin suburb. Uh, and they just began to, they began to serve it and serve it and serve it. And as this time went by, all of them felt like we need, we need to maybe do more. We need to step in more. So they made a decision as they prayed through this, they made a decision that just absolutely blew me away. When I heard what they did, just blew me away. This community group decided to sell their homes. All of them decided we're going to sell our homes and we're going to move into the neighborhood. We're going to move into the neighborhood and we are going to live in this neighborhood. Now, that sounds great, but let's think of that. These families had kids. This was changing their school districts. This is an area with a higher crime rate. This was, a, this was a sacrifice. But what they did is they considered the price and said, but we could impact this entire neighborhood for Jesus. We could impact this entire neighborhood for Jesus. Their plan was for the glory of God and not their own. Their plan was for the glory of God, not their own. And this decision would not have made sense to any of the lost world around them. It wasn't a financial move that was going to benefit them. It was not. This would make absolute no sense. And so the question is, how many of your plans have God's glory in mind? And how many of your plans would make no sense to the lost world around you? Now, I want you to hear me. I struggled with whether or not to share that story because not every plan that honors God requires a drastic selling your house moment. I'm not encouraging all of us to put our homes on the market. It might be cool if we bombarded a neighborhood, but that's not what, that's not what the, the action step for us is here because some of, some of these decisions are just simple career decisions that you make, and you make it intentionally as an act of worship to God. Some of these are small decisions that you make daily, that cause you to be completely reliant on God. Here's the bottom line. Uh, your plan should be made for the glory of God through the power of God. And when you do this, when you do this, your life here, all this stuff, all of your mist, all of it, all of it no longer becomes the things that distracts you from eternity, but it becomes the thing that prepares you for your eternity and draws you closer to Christ every day. Your mist could be that thing that prepares you for your eternity. And I wanna finish with this this morning. Um, if you hear nothing else, I want you to hear this. If you hear nothing else, I want you to hear this. Your life is a gift. Your mist is a gift. And my encouragement for you this morning is to not let the gift distract you from the giver. Don't let your gift distract you from the giver because he remains long after that gift fades. He remains long after your mist vanishes. Focus on the giver and not the gift.
Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for, for showing us how we fit into your big and beautiful picture. How this life is not all that there is. How we are meant for so much more that long after our life here is done that we will spend an eternity in your presence. And we thank you that you have made a way. We thank you for your son, for his work that has made a way for us to see beyond our mist and to see into eternity. And our prayer is that our life here is prep work for what you're doing in us and where you're taking us. Help us to stay focused not on your things, but on you. God, you are not a means to our end, you are the end. And so, God, we focus our heart, we focus our eyes, we focus our lives on you and what you've called us to do. Help us to use our mist well. In Jesus' name.